0: This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station.
1: Inside Story on BFM 89.9. This is Sharmila Ganesan and Sharad Kutin.
2: Tonight, the changing ways that people think about giving to charity. First, we look at how Gen Z thinks about giving. Later, we do, charitable organizations need to think about when appealing to people. So, we want to hear from you as well.
1: What motivates you to give to charity? What factors do you consider? Call 77332 tweet us at BFM Radio, send us a voice note or WhatsApp at our U mobile number 018 789 8899. This is Inside Story. Is 6.08. You're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila and Sharad. So the premise of today's um, segment comes from an opinion piece in the South China Morning Post. Um, And uh, it's quite an interesting article. If you want to look it up, it it essentially talks about how... um, the notion of giving um, to charity or donating and so on, particularly when it comes to the Gen Z, um, is changing and how charities and organizations need to rethink um, how to appeal to this particular generation. Now, just to summarize the the points that the article brings up. So they, uh, the article talks about how um, Gen Z is actually one of the most, uh, appears to be one of the most generous generations when it comes to giving. When you look at it against the total annual income that they're making which is interesting right because you might assume that given that they probably don't yet have the amount of disposable income that someone older might have um, that it seems like they're more willing to give but it comes with a number of caveats so for instance um Gen Z is a lot more particular about wanting to know what their money is being used for. So, um, PayPal giving the PayPal Giving Fund in Canada found that Gen Z wants to be informed about the impact of their donations when they give online. Obviously, the online component is a large one. They are very much more inclined to, for instance, um, participating in crowdfunding, um, giving money towards um, pe- to, to people directly rather than to go through um, organizations. Um, Um, And so a number of different things when it comes to how this notion of giving and charity is changing when it comes to the next generation.
2: Yeah, I, I wonder though if we make too much of the the, the generational differences. Uh, though one thing uh, is true is that technology has enabled us to maybe go directly to the the person or a group that needs money or needs help in a way that you know we used to have to have mediating organizations. But I, I remember many years ago where you you wanted to know you still as give somebody giving you wanted to know. I remember you know giving to this charity that would have the kids. Write back to you. They would write letters to you, to in as, as a demonstration of the impact that you're having as somebody who's giving uh, on ch- the children that uh, purportedly were going to be helped by this uh, charity.
1: No, I, I think that's that's a fair point. I think that the the medium through which um, donations or, or giving is happening also significantly changes what this feedback loop can be. Right. Um. I also think that how you've um, grown up, the values that you've been exposed to also changes things. So I do think perhaps for Gen Z, there is a general mistrust of um, these organizational structures. Um, I think there's a lot more of a premium placed on a personal relationship, for instance, uh, which is why perhaps something like a GoFundMe page um, or a personal fundraiser maybe gains more traction. Um the article also points out how, you know, NGOs who simply try to sell the narrative of, um, you know, they're on a journey or they're trying no longer really works because instead uh, what Gen Z might want is um, an actual outcome. Right. Um, because um, the notion, just the idea that they're giving is not enough. They need to see. Um, they need to be also convinced that there is a value for them in terms of giving. Um I think that this is interesting, particularly because um, it might change how a lot of these organizations that do appeal for charity want to reach out.
2: Yeah, and in, indeed, right. So I think all because there's so many different types of charities uh, with different ideologies. Uh, some of them are religious based, some are not. Uh, others, whatever it is, I think have an explicit um, story to tell in terms of the their value system. I think that's there, but. On the other side, you're saying that either people have grown more sceptical or they've become more demanding in terms of wanting to see concrete evidence of impact, Mm. right? So more bang for their buck. Um, Oh, uh, definitely more bang for their buck. I think also being able to uh, to a
1: certain extent at least to be able to share that they are doing charity because that's another component of it. If you give and then being able to share it on your social media, not so much as a performative thing sometimes, but I think also as being part of a larger conversation around
2: the change you want to see in the world. Yeah, but the sharing, so it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? I mean, in one way, the charities would want you to share that you are giving, that you are, you know, somebody who's contributing to the cause because it might encourage others to do so as well. Yes. And, you know, unfortunately, that could be read by the less generous among us as being the kind of performative uh, to mean that you're you're doing this in order to achieve something other than what the stated uh, objectives are, right? In this case self-aggrandisement or the sense that you are the centre of everything or that you are you know, the Mother Teresa of your neighbourhood or something like that.
1: (laughs) So that's actually why I think um, the article highlights that perhaps actually what charities need to be thinking about is this notion of um, a cause-based storytelling is what they're saying. So sell the outcome, not so much the effort, uh, which I thought was an interesting way to look at this notion of doing good. Uh, But we will be exploring this um, in a couple of different ways. So first We'll be hearing from uh, Konlipe who is an intern at Refuge for Refugees, um, to hear from the Gen Z about how they think of this notion of giving. Later on, we'll be discussing how organizations, um, charities might be rethinking how they appeal uh, for donations and so on. But we do want to hear from you on this we, we want to know what motivates you to give to charity. What factors do you consider? You can call 77332 900, tweet us at BFM Radio, send us a voice note or WhatsApp at 018 789 and keep it here on Inside Story, BFM 89.9.
3: Backing Feminist Movements, BFM 89.9, The Business Station.
1: It is 6.15, you're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila and Sharad. We're talking about um, giving, charity, and how um, the ideas of what people give to and why might be changing. We want to hear from you. What motivates you to give to charity? What factors do you consider? You can call us 77732900, send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio. Joining us now on the line is Conley Lipe, an intern at Refuge for the Refugees. Lipe, good to have you with us.
0: Hi, thanks for having me.
1: So you um, are an intern at Refuge for the Refugees, you volunteer there. So perhaps this notion of volunteering or contributing is the norm for you. But would you say that most of your peers are actively contributing, whether it's through um, money or through time?
0: I still think volunteering or contributing to NGOs isn't particularly widespread, at least not among my peers. I think some of the struggles that we face, you know, in donating our time or money is accessibility, volunteering fatigue, and, you know, with a lot of us being in college or having a lot of other responsibilities, it's a bit hard to set time aside. However, I do see peers participating through time volunteering because a lot of colleges have these social work programs where they're mandated to have a certain amount of number of hours that they need to fill through social work. And I also tend to see a lot of social media volunteerism, people reposting things, which I think is just such a great step in spreading awareness and being able to keep your friends informed.
2: Yeah, there are a lot of charities and foundations out there, you know, good causes, they're reaching out to the public for support. And it can be overwhelming if you're in a position, as you might be, uh, to decide where you want to put your time and effort and your money. What is your process in trying to decide who and what causes to contribute to?
0: That's a great question. Let's start with what causes issues? choose. So I really feel as if this depends on the person and what you feel inclined towards. But I think a really good first step is to look into what prevalent issues that you're passionate about and working from there just to be able to find organizations, charities or foundations who tackle the cause. Now, looking at who to contribute to, which is the dicier question here, I think it's always good to look into the organization first before you decide what to contribute to. Sometimes, and the thing that I always look for, first of all, is transparency, especially when you're donating funds. Because being able to see the impact that is made through donations is a really big thing in making sure that your donations are actually going towards the affected communities and not into other things. The other thing that I look for is an approach that works with communities as opposed to working for and seeking to empower their communities in a dignifying manner. What? Particularly drew me to Refuge for the Refugees was the fact that they have this focus on empowering refugees and providing dignified aid to the community. I think it's really important just to connect with organizations which work directly with and truly like immerse themselves with these marginalized communities because it shows that they have their firsthand experience working with these communities and will likely have a better understanding of their needs compared to charities or foundations that aren't directly connected with communities.
1: Now. One of the things um, that the article that we were discussing earlier points out is that um, with this current generation or Gen Z, rather, um, there is an expectation of um, a a sort of a return on what they've done, that they want um, to know the impact or the outcome. Do you have any expectations once you commit to donating? Um, For instance, do you expect reports or any sort of information or follow up?
0: Oh, I definitely do. And I think that these expectations are actually a good thing because, you know, we've been raised in this world where we haven't really expected a lot of transparency we we let down by all these organizations. And that's why I think there's so much of a focus on a return from donating in terms of quantifiable measures or other impact. So I would say that the basic follow up information I expect on the impact is that to show that my donations have made a quantifiable impact and difference. For example, things like how many houses were built or how many kids were being able to send to school. But beyond that, I would say the better way of being able to see this impact is actually through to see the transformation within that community. So this can be through like reports, through um, reports with pictures because and I use the term human development quite loosely here. But generally things that I want to see are an improved quality of life. And that's why I think, you know, these qualitative reports with pictures and things like that are really good in this area. Because when you have just numbers, right, you can say we installed lighting in 70 houses. And really what they did is just put these cheap fluorescent LED lights up. And this doesn't really contribute very much to the quality of life of these people. So I'd say I expect just not quantitative results, but to see meaningful improvement in quality of life when I commit to donating.
2: Now, one of the points brought up in the article we're discussing today is about how the Gen Z or Gen Z, as some people call them, uh, aren't afraid of engaging in something called calculated benevolence. So what do you think about the idea that appearing to do good is now as important uh, or has become an important component of being charitable? I
0: think that Gen Z especially, we live in a world where success has never been so easily quantifiable. Like you can post a picture on social media and it's so easy to see how well it is or how good your picture is just based on the number of likes that you get. Aside from the romanticization of advocacy and social work, I actually think there's a deeper component of wanting to be charitable to actually achieve self-fulfillment. Most Gen Zs are born into a world where we don't really have the same struggles that boomers did. We live quite privileged lives, but we don't really worry about um, putting food on the table or having to support our families. And now, you know, information has become so widespread. It's more accessible than ever. So we grew up with the internet and social media. We grew up with news. We grew up learning about the wider world and its problems. So we naturally became a lot more socially conscious. And I would say that we turned our focus to these big social connections and these big social causes because that's what we saw growing up. And I think there's this need to make a meaningful impact and to seek connection with our lives.
2: Sorry, let me just ask this. Do you find traditional methods of fundraising are not as appealing to you? That I'm, you know, I'm thinking here of telemarketing or approaching people in the streets or in the malls to commit to say monthly contributions.
0: Actually, I would say yes. I would say they're not really appealing to me because it lacks being able to go out and do your own research on it and to get your own more holistic idea of charity or other organisations that they're representing. I think people in general just tend to be more motivated when we do things of our own volition, right? It's like wanting to wash the dishes and then your parents tell you to do it, and you suddenly don't want to do it anymore. So I think that being able to make the choice to reach out first, without the pressure of being put on the spot because the nice lady with the clipboard is asking you if you want to save the <laughs> children, and not re- feeling like you can say no, is just not attractive anymore.
1: Are some causes easier to raise funds for than others? I mean, simply put, uh, particularly within a landscape that involves social media and so on, are some charities more, quote-unquote, appealing to those who are looking to give?
0: I would say yes, actually. And I would break it down to three things that tend to make charities more appealing or less appealing. First of all is the emotional impact. First of all, does this resonate with you? And I think for parents, right, something that would resonate with you would be child-related causes, because those are things that you can feel tug on your emotional heartstrings. And for a lot of Gen Zs, I've noticed that things like animal shelters are really popular because animals are adorable. It tugs on your emotional heartstrings. The second thing I would say is social media presence, because I think it's become increasingly important in the world now, because that's how a lot of people just tend to find these causes or become aware of them. And this actually tags on to my third point, which is relevance to the current like world and our impact on it. First of all, I think that we can just look at social causes which have done better at certain times. For example, stop AAPI hate, which was such a big thing in the USA and um, globally, because in the height of Corona, because um, Asian American and Asian hate and xenophobia and those things were at such peaks during that time, or now in Malaysia, for example, um, the orang and the rights of indigenous people and the forest land rights have become a really big thing because deforestation is reaching new heights in Malaysia. So I would say what makes a charity more appealing or less appealing just comes down to the emotional impact, social media presence and the relevance.
2: You know, we've been talking about Gen Z as if they were homogenous, you know, and, and with with one kind of impulse. But when you look at your peers and you look beyond your own social group, what do you see, Lipe? I mean, in terms of different impulses and what people find appealing? You say animals, but what about religious causes and such?
0: I would see I would truly say it depends a lot on like the geographical location and the political, um, environment that's going on things for example like religious causes right a lot of religious causes do outreach in terms of conversion but there are other religious causes that go towards just going out and being able to help people because that's part of their doctrine right being able to go out and be charitable so i would say aside from just those four impulses i would say that's another thing that i would look at
1: Lipe, we do have a message from a listener and I thought um, we could get you to address it. So MZ says, whatever happened to giving to charity just to want to help? Everything needs to be on TikTok or Instagram. And it's sad that the organizations have to adjust to this. I've given without advertising on social media or telling anyone other than my wife. And this, of course, is part and parcel of that sort of um, perhaps cynicism that people tend to view at uh, view. this sort of online um, talking about who you might give to or highlighting acts of charity what are your thoughts
0: yeah i think that's just a really valid statement i completely understand where this listener is coming from and i think that's really true honestly but i would say that a bigger reason as to why a lot of things get publicized are for two reasons number one for gen z's it's simply a way of connecting it's our way of showing social media has become like breathing air to us right like just sharing things keeping your friends informed on what's going on so a lot of things tend to go on social media even though honestly they probably don't need to but the second thing i think is that it actually raises awareness by doing things on social media for example like um posting a video of you volunteering at a blind charity might actually incentivize your friends to go and be able to help and whether this is because you know oh we just want to look good as well because i see this cool thing and i want to hop on the bandwagon I think that either way, it still is able to mobilize and produce support and it's able to raise awareness amongst your peers as well. So I would say that sometimes it is good to publicize these things. And that's why a lot of things get put online. But I think that most of all, we appreciate every single donation and we appreciate every single work that has been done, whether it's been publicized or not
2: we have about a minute and a half, uh, so we're going want to get your thoughts about uh, the, the, fr- the, uh, the question of uh, advertising on social media from the, uh, the fundraiser's perspective, right? Do you think there's a risk of, just because there's a sheer amount of, uh, um, de- not demands, but the request for ch- help, that, that this will desensitize people to campaigns j- in general,
0: Yes, I think that's honestly becoming such an increasing concern, having been on both ends of, you know, being advertised to and the one doing the advertising now. You know, as a person being advertised to, there's just so much fatigue nowadays just surrounding negative news because every other day, you know, it seems like there's been a war somewhere or something bad has happened, or even now with the wildfires in Maui. It feels like every single day there's something worse that happens. So how many of us really watch that UNICEF ad like all the way through And how many of us just simply skip it because we've been desensitized to this relentless guilt tripping and from an advertiser's perspective i think that this has become increasingly hard in order to mobilize support and to raise meaningful awareness and get people to connect with us because we don't want to just guilt trip people we've shown that this has gone nowhere So that's why I think that we've been looking and exploring at new ways to advertise, well, not advertise per se, but to connect with our audiences and to be able to mobilise support. And whether that's through things like Dari Dapur, our current initiative, which connects refugee chefs and local Malaysian celebrities, and we produce videos for everyone to watch and to raise awareness on this in a way that's not too overt.
1: Lipe, thanks for speaking with us today.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: That was Konlipay, an intern with Refuge for the Refugees, speaking to us about how younger people, the Gen Z, may think about um, giving, the idea of charity. Uh, we do want to hear from you as well, no matter what age you are. What motivates you to give to charity? What factors do you consider? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send us a voice note or WhatsApp 18 789 Tweet us at BFM Radio.
3: Bring forth
1: It is 6.39. You're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila and Sharad. We're talking about what motivates you to give to charity. What are the factors you consider? Send your thoughts through. You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. We are, of course, talking about this because of an article in the South China Morning Post um, that essentially unpacks the notion of charity uh, as viewed by the current Gen Z and how maybe they think of giving um, slightly differently. So we thought this would be an interesting thing to start a conversation on. We are getting a number of thoughts already. Let's start with a voice note. So this comes from uh, Hanif, who used to volunteer for Buku Jalanan Chowkid Kid, um, as he shared in his message. But uh, he sent in a voice note as well.
0: Hi. So, yeah, I'm a Gen Z. For me, I would be more inclined to make the donation if the organization is being managed or being founded or it's got the people of my age in in, in that charity and in that organizations because, well, I can come there and perhaps I can volunteer, I can find new friends. And if the charity contributes to the cause, or if it relates to the adversity that I have experienced as a child in the past, then I would also be more inclined to donate. And yeah, that's just me.
1: Hanif, thank you for that. Oh, that's so interesting um, because I think, again, this notion of choosing a cause based on a, a communal sense a, a way of belonging or relating to experiences I think that's that's actually a really interesting point
2: yeah so kind it seems like you have two two separate kinds of arguments right one is that it has to do with the social nature of um, the work itself that you know you build a sense of community you become part of a community when you when you join these causes the other point which is how it's personal to you that you see yourself uh, that your your sense of empathy for those who are suffering uh, or who are the objects of the, of the charity was some, in some sense you at one point in your life. And I, I think that's also very interesting because a lot of us, uh, there are many of us who maybe donate to causes which are very distant from us and who, which, you know, in which the, um, the problem is something that we've never encountered, but we are struck by it.
1: We also have, um, uh, we have Inlook actually with a different perspective.
2: Hi, I will support charities that are for children and for the disabled simply because they are not able to help themselves if there's nobody else helping them.
1: In thank you for that. Um, you know, people choose what to give to for multiple reasons, right? Um, I, think, I think it was our, our guest earlier, Lipe, she pointed out how certain charities tend to perhaps pull on the heartstrings in particular ways and certainly, uh, you know, causes related to children, causes related to people with disabilities, exactly for this reason that there are specific kinds of care that can prove to be very expensive.
2: Yeah, there's also, the, I mean, he, I think uh, Lee also mentioned animals. Uh, and so the idea that uh, these, these uh, p- people that require, uh, creatures that require help are blameless. You know, they didn't ask to be in that position. But the, it does beg the question of who is to be blamed? If you're old and you're vulnerable or you're indigent, it, was it your fault that you got into that position? You know, if, you know, and, So the question is, where do you withhold support and for what reason? So,
1: I mean, it's tough, right? I mean, in the end, when you have a certain amount of money to give, I think it's not a competition really about who deserves your money. I think it is more, uh, it's probably closer to what Hanif said. Um, Most people choose based on something that relates to them in some way um, or perhaps relates to something that they have an interest in or view as being a particular... um, uh, I, for instance, often find myself because my father passed away uh, from cancer, um, I often find myself inclined to contribute to cancer research or particular kinds of um, <coughs> particular kinds of efforts that may be related to that. Similarly, there may be others who have experiences related to um, lack of access and maybe that's a charity that they want to support.
2: You know, very early on in my life, I had this experience of somebody on the street asking me as a child for some money and I remember coming home and asking my mother about and saying, well, I I don't know, you know, whether this person would take the money I gave them and they would spend it on alcohol, for instance. And my mother said, it was not for me to judge. If I wanted to give that money, I should give it. But if I didn't, if I wanted to to put, um, uh, you know, a caveat on this, or I wanted to put conditions on my giving, then I shouldn't actually give because I was not doing it in the way that that was truly charitable. Oh, that's
1: a good point. And and I think that comes up a fair amount as well, right? Um, People feel like like because they've contributed their money that they somehow get to dictate what ends up happening with that money and i think that's that's not the way to think about giving i think you give to a cause you hope it reaches the people and they do it and they do what they need to with it but then it doesn't give you the right to judge other people for their choices
2: I- So in in connection with that is the kind of receiving end of charity. And Jimny has this to say, I used to donate to those big charity bodies until I got to know that those top management people are getting paid big bucks, which doesn't make sense to me anymore. So I stopped.
1: Well, that's... OK, so um, I feel like that's a that's a tough one, because on the one hand, I don't think people who work for NGOs or charitable organizations should do their work for free. I think they're doing a job. They need to be paid. But I think Jimny's point about them um, needing to about earning the big bucks is. Um, can often send the wrong signal especially if you if you see them living lavish lifestyles for instance
2: yeah it's it's the the the, um, it's a question of where your money goes and i think today uh, a lot of charities signal whether and how that money is going to be used so for instance when he talks about big charities i remember wanting to donate to something like greenpeace but greenpeace is a global organization with people who uh, in many ways is a very it's a professionalized setup and so the kind of salaries that people are getting are probably those that look something like what a corporate organisation is giving out in terms of salaries. But it is, in fact, a charity with and a cause.
1: Yes, and they run like a corporate. I mean, in the sense that because of the reach of the organisation, they actually do need to pay people um, for it to be their job and not just as a volunteer. Um, keep those thoughts coming. We will continue the conversation after this. What motivates you to give to charity? What factors do you consider? You can call 77332900. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine tweet us at BFM Radio. Being first matters BFM eighty nine point nine. It is 6.51. You're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila and Sharad. And we've been talking about um, giving to charity and asking you, what motivates you to give? What factors do you consider? You can call 777 send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio. We do have a voice note that's come in. This is from Katrina.
4: So two caveats to my comments, Uh, firstly I recognize that there are just very many different kinds of charities and different ways in which we uh, engage in the process of um, changing the world for the better And, uh, and, and so that's one. These comments up, bit hard to generalise, um, and also secondly, just absolutely understand that we need to collectively um, be transparent about our processes and also the kind of change that's being done. Uh, so no disagreement there. I, firstly, I just, I'm trying to think about this point on um, quote-unquote quantifiable impact or more um, bang for our buck, as we put it, um, and how we situate that within the context of the work that needs to be done to shift um, laws and cultures and norms um, and systems being um, processes and uh, commitments that take a very long time and often um, not really easily visible. So I think we can, you know, it's much easier when we're looking at the number of, say, individuals who've gained housing or children who've been able to go to school and, and all of that's really important work. But when it comes to the changing of the surrounding structures that um, enable people to enjoy their rights um, and I, I, I'm i trying to think about how we name the impact of that, when the end result of it um, is is often many many years down the line, and the path to get there is often not particularly clear. So when it comes to you know these sort of structural cultural changes, what does that look like when we are asking for impact? And this question I think is quite important, um, especially because often this sort of work uh, is not appealing for funders and and then you're almost stuck in the cycle where it's necessary work that is um, hard to fund because the system doesn't allow it to be funded uh, and, and that in, in turn doesn't change the system. Um, so that's one. And then two, also curious about the kinds of stories we tell about impact and how that shapes the understanding of the issues themselves you know so there's been a lot of literature for example about exploitative images that have been used in the global north about um, um, you know people or issues or, or countries in the global south and how that you know reinforces biases and, and perceptions and also disconnects people from the, the um, violations and, and issues in their own co- communities instead of making those connecting dots Um, visible so yeah framing of, of the impact and how that also shapes our understanding of what issues are so as we sort of grapple with this conversation and I'm really curious to see what listeners are looking for I'm wondering if we can touch on this too thank you
1: Katrina, thank you for that. Um, so many interesting um, and I think important issues that you raised there. Um, it got me thinking actually about how uh, both the reach, the potential of something like social media when it comes to raising funds, but also the limitations, right? Because as Katrina was speaking, I was thinking to myself about how something like a fundraiser or a crowdsourced um crowdsourced charity effort online works best, I think, when it's aimed towards a short-term target with a very clear and defined goal. Um, Someone needs medical treatment or someone's lost their home or we're doing a um, flood relief effort that's for this particular thing. Whereas something that's something like what katrina is pointing out long-term advocacy work that may not have a tangible impact that you can take a picture of or to show but is still necessary and needs funding how do programs like that seek out funding because it's not just about how can they use social media it's about how do they create that narrative that people want before they can give the money
2: yeah so I don't know if, uh, you know since I'm not a strategist we are going to be speaking to a fundraising raising uh, strategist later on but the issue really would be do you need to go to the uh, to ordinary people and the crowd in, in crowdsourcing to deal with long term structural uh, type of uh Projects, right? You could go to funders. There are funding organizations across the world. Uh, they also go to governments. Governments often fund long-term projects and at, at a scale that is um, makes sense of th- the enormity of the challenge, right? Whereas with individuals, because you're trying to also shape ideas and raise awareness, maybe small-term, sorry, short-term projects, like you say, a very palpable sense of what the impact is, would be more useful. But I'm
1: curious, though because um, whether this, if we are looking at Gen Z, And again, I, I'm very aware that we don't want to draw broad strokes. Um, if we're talking about a generation that's been raised to think of impact in this way, uh, more visible, uh, more, more shareable um, and more specific, whether that might change um, the idea of needing to... Well, sometimes you have to wait for that effort to pan out. Um, and because at some point, Gen Z are going to be the decision makers as well. Gen Z are going to be sitting in the chairs that make these decisions. Positions. Um, and I am wondering whether long term this might actually shift the way people think about fundraising and charity.
2: But if you, but do you as a person think differently if you're giving your own money from your own, you know, pocket versus
1: if it's from an organization? From an
2: organization, and what that would mean, right? Or if you're in in government and you are dealing with uh, wanting to promote something, right? So uh, it maybe you you wear a different hat. I mean, as an individual, you might wear that hat. Whereas if you're a funding organization uh, and of leading that organization, you might have a very different perspective. Well, Meezy is actually
1: saying, you can't blame Gen Z. They grew up watching big size checks being handed over from donor to recipients aired over TV. I think bringing up quite fittingly the point that the notion of performative charity isn't necessarily new to this generation. We've been doing it in multiple forms over the years.
2: I mean, I think, in fact, hundreds of years, I mean, patrons of the arts or people in charity often advertise. I mean, you can go back to ancient times and people put the donors' names and images out chisel, there. Chisel them into the wall. Indeed. And, you know, there was no shame in that because doing good was not something that you needed to hide away, right? You, could, I mean, of course, some people do that that. They give secretly and quietly. Um, and of course, a lot of philanthropy came from rich people. What motivates you to give to charity? What factors do you consider? Keep
1: your thoughts coming. You can call 777 send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio.
3: Building future Malaysia. BFM 89.9 The Business Station.
1: It is 7.07. You're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila and Sharad. We are talking about giving to charity and particularly generational shifts in terms of why one would give and um, what causes they would choose to support. So this comes from an article in the SEMP talking about how Gen Z might have very different ideas about who to support when it comes to charity so we've been asking you um, for your own experiences you don't have to be in the gen z Um, what motivates you to give what factors do you consider you can call us you can send us a voice note you can whatsapp us you can tweet us we do have a number of um, voice notes that have come in let's start with this from Sharon.
5: Hi speaking of donations I'm uh I have been very, very motivated to keep on donating blood um, ever since I got introduced to it by a colleague like a few years ago. Um, This is because uh, I I was not aware, but blood donors actually get benefits. Like I I have been a recipient of a free hepatitis B jab uh, and more regular blood donors actually get free outpatient treatments. They get um, privileges in terms of ward uh, choices in government hospitals. Uh, and so on, and I thought that was a really good, um, a really good way to motivate people to keep donating. And uh, plus, you know, you, you go and donate, and you get free nasilama, misiam, Milo. It, it makes a good Sunday morning outing before you start on any other, uh, any other plans for the day. So I hope more people listening in today will consider blood donations as uh, something they should go and contribute to. Keep our hospitals sustainable and ready to, you know. Uh, Help Malaysians in emergencies. Sharon, thank you for that. Um,
1: It's never a bad time to remind people that they can donate for blood. uh, They can donate blood if they're capable of it, Um, and also a reminder that you know money isn't the only way that you can "quote unquote" give.
2: And also, as Sharon uh, rightly points out, you can get something from it too. And in that uh, vein, I want to read something from Fazli. He says, Muslim charity groups like to use the term Saham Ahirat uh, and frame charity as an investment in our afterlife, which gives, which kind of gives it a business-like tone. I like to be honest. That said, a religious duty or zakat is what motivates me on one hand, Uh, But I also tend to donate, whether it's my time or money, to refugee causes. But I admit, seeing things worsen is depressing and makes me question if any real difference is being made.
1: Fudsley, you bring up actually a point that I think about quite often, um, which is what's in it for the person who's doing the giving. Because... I know, I know it's all well and good to talk about, oh, it's the right thing to do. Um, you know, the reward is the fact that you contributed to the world. But I'd like to think that actually most people do it in the end because it makes you feel good. It makes you feel good to be able to do something nice for someone else, right? Um, now, whether that sort, of, that sort of lays bare this idea of altruism and maybe it doesn't really exist and so on. But actually, even if it is because your faith tells you that it offers you something in return, I think that's a great motivation.
2: Yeah, this idea of altruism as being equivalent to not getting anything in return for what you do, I think is perhaps unrealistic. Um, There is uh, these notions uh, deeply embedded in different religions, Buddhism, for instance, or Hinduism, the idea of merit-making. I mean, you know, there was always some higher-order Payback, as it were. I do remember this quote from Mother Teresa, though. She did say, true charity is giving until it hurts. I'm not sure if that's for all of us, though. Well, I mean, the prick of a blood donation needle sometimes puts people (laughs) off.
1: (laughs) So perhaps that lines up. Actually, on that point about um, what's in it for you, um, we have a voice note from Hosanna.
3: I'm curious to know whether tax exemption status is a factor in donors' minds when they choose to make a donation to a particular organisation? Would you still donate to an organisation without uh, being able to obtain tax
1: exemption receipts? I mean, Hazana, that's exactly um, what we've been talking about, right? If um, whether, whether it's so bad to want something in return um, for having
2: done good. And also, you know, what is wrong for governments to incentivize charity, right? So if you, if you take the point that it doesn't matter what the motivation is, as long as there is the giving, you know, and that act itself is going to be helpful, then governments incentivizing charity to tax exemptions uh, for corporates or even for individuals, I, I think uh, is sensible uh, social policy. John in Denver says, How I give to charity. Every week
1: I drop in my cash offerings into the church collection bag. I do not ask for balance when I purchase items from the wet or dry market where the retailers struggle to organize their monthly bills payment. Number three, I choose to eat at poorer eateries with fewer customers than the ones bustling with customers.
2: Yeah, you know, the, it just seems to me that we all have our individual preferences, right? So Karen says, I would like to give money, my money directly to animal, uh, sorry, animal rescuers. I feel that this allows it to reach exactly those who need it. Um, I... Actually, um, how people decide what they want
1: to give their money to is something I'm quite interested to hear about because, uh, as I said, I have particular causes that I find um, resonate with me. Certainly, um, animals are something, um, animals are a cause that I find myself easily convinced to help with because we constantly hear stories about rescue centers and people who um, shelter animals who I need. Um, We have an anonymous listener who says, I give to charity anonymously as much as possible because I was taught to give in the manner that what the right hand gives, the left hand doesn't know and vice versa. Should I be suspicious about the party asking for donation? I wouldn't donate because when in doubt, leave it out.
2: Yeah, I think there's a lot of reasons to be suspicious. Uh, I I think one would counsel caution you know what don't be impulsive when giving and so on and so forth right you do the due diligence it's it's easier to do it when it's an organization that's that has a web presence and has a history much more difficult when it's somebody on the street asking for donation Well, a number of people actually bringing up the issue
1: of transparency. So um, Magpie on Twitter says, The authenticity of the story or organisation, especially if it's on mainstream media or a credible website, or if other sources can corroborate. Recently, my dad sent a video of an appeal for a youth to pursue his studies. Couldn't corroborate it on social media, so I wasn't convinced.
2: Yeah, this is also uh, a message I, I think directed at me from Katrina saying government and structures of ours aren't funding the work needed to change them and challenge their power charade she said well because you pointed
1: out that that's where governments um step
2: in but you know what you see is like a lot of malaysian ngos and i think katrina would agree to this or attest to this you know do fund through various organizations charities and ngos working in other parts of the world Uh, and so they might be promoting democracy for instance or human rights or women's rights
1: well speaking of um transparency which magpie brought up earlier we have um Let's see. We have uh, Jensen actually saying, I always refuse to donate that excess one cent when asked by fast food chains, but I would donate hundreds to flood victims. It's all about transparency, which is so interesting to me because I think actually it would be quite possible to look up these large um, fast food chains and their charitable endeavours. I wonder whether in your case, Jensen, it's actually more about the immediacy of being able to donate for something like flood relief. Because if you're talking about a local effort, you've heard them being highlighted in the media. Um, you can actually see a need versus these international channels through
2: which the one cent goes to a particular cause. I'm i I'm, I'm skeptical of giving... Uh Tips for waiters at restaurants because I suspect that the wait the waiters don't get those tips that so, it goes to the restaurant that in fact it does go to the restaurant.
1: We have let's see. Um, Look, actually, saying I worked with a charitable organization years ago and found out that out of the money being given, only a small percentage reaches those who are supposed to reach it. As your listener mentioned, their staff or management live lavish lifestyles. For instance, they fly, um, they fly here and there, they stay at five star hotels all of this is paid for by donations so I I mean I feel like this comes up a fair amount with um, charities that um, almost seem to be using the donations as a way to um, well in an unethical ways frankly and I think again this is why perhaps transparency holding um, holding these chari- charities accountable is so important and increasingly a call that people sort of stand by.
2: Yeah, so I think that, okay, the unethical practices are one thing, but there's also the question of how much it costs to run organizations, right? So you might be predisposed to, or recognizing that, in fact, there is a cost to administration and that to for, to run a, a successful charity, you'll need to pay people, right? But then people who are completely opposed to it. And and then I, I think that sometimes we almost exaggerate the problems of high wages and NGOs and charities. Not all charities have that. So, yes. Yeah, so we have an anonymous
1: listener, actually, who's messaged in to say, uh, thank you for sticking up for NGO employees. I work for an NGO in middle management. I get paid decently, but would get paid Much more at an MNC. We work hard because we work for a cause. Evenings, weekends are not uncommon. So it's disheartening when people question our salary or even call us a scam, which I read recently on social media. Um, I completely empathize with this because I think that there definitely is a sense. um, I've heard people say, oh, if they work for a charity, Why do they dress so well? Why do they eat at expensive restaurants? And sure, while there's a certain level of lifestyle beyond which those questions might be valid, I think there's nothing wrong with people working in charities being paid a decent wage the way anyone working
2: in any organization would be paid. And indeed, when we help the poor, you know we resent when the poor have things that we consider luxuries i mean there is sometimes a rather bizarre um, mindset that comes a psychology that comes with giving we expect the people that we give to to be A subservient, grateful, uh, obsequious. And
1: the display that they deserve to be given to.
2: That's right. They can never upgrade themselves because to upgrade themselves in any way is to somehow, you know, exclude them from the possibility of ever being a recipient of charity.
1: Keep your thoughts coming. We are asking you, what motivates you to give to charity? What factors do you consider? You can call us, you can send us a voice note, you can WhatsApp us, you can tweet us. After this, we'll be speaking with Dr. Hartini Zainuddin, who is co-founder of Yayasan Chowkit, as well as a freelance fundraising consultant. So keep it here on Inside Story, BFM 89.9.
3: Bringing fresh meaning. BFM
1: 89.9. It is 7.20. You're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila and Sharad. We're closing off our conversation on charity, Um, what motivates people to give by speaking to someone who, in fact, works on convincing people to give um we are joined on the line uh, by dr hartini Zainuddin, who is co-founder of yay san chowkit as well as a freelance fundraising consultant hartini good to have you with us today um let's start with what um let's start with your own experiences right you run both a charity you are a freelance fundraising consultant now on based on your experience what motivates and moves people to contribute
3: i think there are a couple of reasons um why people want to contribute a because it's urgent um, and everything I do is, around, is is around children and impacted families in crisis most of the time And so, uh, usually it's an emergency so people tend to tell want to give I think no one can see anyone suffer but I think it's worse when it's the most vulnerable amongst the society which is children and the elderly um, and families who are struggling to, to try to protect and ensure that children's basic needs are met so it's usually like sick children or children who are hungry or needing milk, babies who need milk, et cetera. So yeah, I see a lot of that. But also now um, I tend to see a lot of people who are willing to give um less but give for longer periods of time over uh, strategic sort of um strategic sort of funding and donors um who, who want to give more intelligently, I guess, and more sustainably.
2: Are there considerations you have to make and things you have to plan for when launching a fundraising appeal or campaign?
3: Yes. Um, Who is the target audience? Who are we speaking to? How much are we trying to raise? What is the impact? Is there monitoring any assessment and evaluation? Is there follow up? Is there feedback from the communities? can, if the donors want uh, get in touch with the communities they serve, get, or, you know, in cases where it's sick children, get in touch or get updates from the doctors or hospitals and stuff. So it's a lot more, there's a lot more of accountability and reporting, I think that needs to happen in place. And you actually have to think st- strategically on how to sort of, you make your case because there are so many people in need and so many organizations and people who ask, so, you know, donors and, and people who want to give get their pick and choose. They get to pick and choose who they want to give to and how much and for how long. So it's a trust issue as well, as well as building the
1: relationship. So,
3: yeah. Now, what have
1: you personally found to be the most challenging part of fundraising?
3: Asking for repeat donations. Because, you know, safe for sick children, right, there's not one child who's sick There's like three children a week or something and it's really hard to get repetitive or to ask for different children but the same cause every week for years on end it's so difficult so part of it is also um ways in which you sort of present the content and like I said it's trying to make sure that you know that donors honestly and people who give are much more intelligent yeah they know uh, what they 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 are looking for and what they they want, and so I think the more information you give, the more they can see the impact. The quicker you sort of give updates and stuff, the better it is, and more transparent it is.
2: Now we're talking today about how Gen Z might view uh, donations and charity in a different way from previous generations. Are you yourself observing this shift?
3: Actually, yes and no, because the the generation that you're talking about have parents who also get educated by the children. So I don't really, I don't want to say it's just um, the generation or the younger generation, because I think the younger generation is also educating their parents and their families and their neighbours. Um, but they're definitely more um, accountability, and there's a lot more than just wanting to give money. They actually... Uh, the younger generation actually want to get involved. They actually want to see for themselves what's going on. They want to be able to get updates. They want to know to know names um, of children. They don't call them, you know, oh that child. They actually want to know the child's name, um, or that fa- or that family's name, or that village's name. Or they want to accompany you, which never happened before. Yeah, they actually want to come with you and actually see what's happening on the ground. So yeah, I, I think we have a much more informed, intelligent a group of of people who give and they don't just want to give money. They actually want to provide input, uh, actually get involved in the monitoring and see the impact.
2: So in view of that, do you think that traditional fundraising methods may no longer be as effective for younger people?
5: No.
3: and That traditional fundraising impact is actually going to bring up suspicion. If you just ask for donation and say, I don't need to to give accountability, I don't need to give a report. I don't need to give updates. No one's going to give you for long, really. It's that's just not how it works anymore.
1: And is it fair for Gen Z to demand uh, more from charitable organisations, particularly when resources may already be stretched thin for these uh, organisations? Do you feel that, uh, and do you feel the pressure to meet those demands?
3: I actually think it's very good because we actually educate and share responsibilities and accountability and share information on what needs to get done and that it's not one person's job to be able to do it's not the NGO's job to to fulfill it's just that we may have identified which community which person is in need but the shared responsibility is what actually helps the NGOs and organizations helping that community or person do it so it's it's really nice um to be able to 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 sort of share the burden if you if you must or share the responsibility or educate the public more and awareness and they actually amplify the message on what needs to get done and where you are so it really does help the community and you know the issue
2: now there was a point brought up about how appearing to be seen doing good is or oh, has become in fact a re- prerequisite for engaging in acts of charity do you think this is true i mean especially for the younger generation
3: Yeah, the act to be seen, I think, is some people. But you know what? I don't think it's a generational thing because the act to be seen, I know people my age and older who wants to be seen to be doing stuff. So I don't think it's a generational thing. So I think that part's wrong. But I think that accountability and wanting to know what they're doing, where their money is, and making it stretch, and understanding the issue and amplifying the issue is amazing. And in terms of advocacy and in terms of shared responsibility, um, I don't think I really... Honestly, dislike that statement that, you know, one generation is more selfish than the other or whatever it is, because that's not true. I know people my age, like I said, who, you know, wanted to make sure they've shown to to give on TV or that it's documented on Instagram. I don't think it's I really don't agree with that. I think there are people across generations who do that. And I think there are lots of good people. I actually like the young people because I actually have conversations with them and share Issues with them and trying to think out solutions that actually matter to both the NGOs and society.
1: So, do you think that older people are a better target though for fundraisers because they tend to have more disposable income? Or is the practice of giving or being charitable something that can be instilled at any age?
3: I think it's a value that can be instilled at any age, number one. Number two, we know that there are high net worth individuals who maybe give more but give once. Whereas um this whole idea of sharing responsibilities and collaborating and looking at different ways in which we share resources um, and disposable income, because things are harder now, yeah, is is actually more impactful because you share um what little you have. And for me, it's more meaningful in in many ways, because you get to give 20 ringgit over a year. Whereas let's say, for example, in Malaysia, and you actually come back and give because you don't feel you don't feel the pain that much, right? And and honestly, we, what we're trying to do in the fundraising circle is to try to create um, an environment, an ecosystem where more people give less, but they actually at the end give more. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, because it's not about just money; it's about it's about really understanding the issue and getting to the root cause and, sh- and looking at different ways to address the issue. So yes, I, I you know I think it's going to take time, but that's really what we want in terms of sustainability. Although, you know, from a fundraising point of view as well, uh, you need a diverse sort of different streams of revenue. So you, you need that the older people with more, lots of money and you need um, the younger people with less money, but more time and more the, who actually want to get involved.
2: Tini, uh, uh, your final advice for anybody who's unsure about how to contribute?
3: Well, I think, you know, you go to any crowdfunding platform, you go to any Instagram or Facebook page. You'll be able to see different ways in which people are sort of raising funds. Um, I think trust, like I said, is a big thing. Um, Reputation, um, who's giving? You need to check and see who's giving. You need to at least know some of the people that you're doing or be able to do your research Um, because there are lots of dodgy people out there as well. So make sure you go to a reputable platform or go to a nonprofit organization that you're interested in to learn more and see how to give. And like I said, nobody's asking you to give a million dollars. People are asking you to give 10 ringgit, 50 ringgit but give it on a consistent basis every month.
1: Tini, thanks for weighing in. That was Dr. Hartini Zainuddin, co-founder of uh, Yayasan Chauket, uh, also a freelance fundraising consultant. Um, keep your thoughts coming. You can call 77732900, send us a voice note or WhatsApp 0187898899. Tweet us at BFM Radio.
0: You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind,